0: Welcome to Who's That Girl, a new girl podcast. I'm Kritika. And I'm Kelly. And today we'll be discussing season two, episode 25, Elaine's Big Day. This episode
1: originally aired May 14th, 2003. And this episode was written by Christian magai and Robert Snell. This is the only episode that both officially wrote for. However, both were staff writers throughout season two. Oddly enough, both of them have worked on many of the same projects. They both wrote for the animated series DuckTales, Star vs. the Forces of Evil, and additionally they wrote for Murder of a Cat. Robert Snow also worked on the short called Bunny. The director of this episode was Jake Kasdan, who last directed Season 2, Episode 20, Chicago. In this episode, Cece is getting married. Or is she? Schmidt and Winston end up pranking CeCe's wedding, but ultimately it ends up being Chevron and Elaine's big day. Meanwhile, Jess and Nick continue to explore their relationship. We get reminded pretty instantly that Bob Day is still visiting and sleeping between Jess and Nick's room and they're all getting ready to go to this wedding and I thought it was really cute that Jess was like, let's get a group photo. Let's get a photo at the loft because that seemed like such a prom thing to do. And just like cute that she was having like her dad take the photo of her and her friends before they go to the big fancy event.
0: That's so funny. I didn't actually compare it to prom, but I think it's so cute. Honestly, how did they all get ready in that one bathroom that they share? And Bob is still sleeping on the floor this entire time. And they all seem to have come from Schmidt's room. And I wondered if all the guys like got dressed together and... Schmidt letting Nick walk out in his high school suit. There's no way that suit fit him. I loved seeing this, but it was really funny to me how it all played out and how Bob was just still so not okay with Nick and Jess. He was so petty about that. He
1: one called him by the wrong name and then was like a little to the left, to the left in the hallway, just be out of it. But then everybody ended up leaving and it was like, Jess got her photo alone. And I thought that was like, she still smiled for the photo. She was like annoyed, but she still smiled. But yeah, Nick's suit that he was saying he looked like Miami in was definitely not what he looked like. And I also did not believe that it could be his high school suit. It was definitely the only suit Nick Miller owned. That I believe. That's why also it is so crinkled because he didn't know what to do with it. But that seems like such a weird high school graduation suit that he would have owned.
0: Even though it was crinkly, It was really cute that they were trying to take this picture because watching Jess and Nick kind of smush up together and like try was really, really sweet. And it reminded me how much I really want them together. So I'm anti-Bob right now, but (laughs) that's why obviously Nick goes and changes and takes Schmidt's worst suit because Bob has been getting in his head since last episode. And even though I was really happy to see them on the roof last episode, kind of starting to make their own decisions and even Nick saying that what her dad said didn't get to him. I think we all kind of knew it did then, but I was hopeful that they would let this go. And coming into this episode, the fact that he immediately changed and then just starts talking about all of the stuff that Bob might've said really highlighted how even though we've taken so long to get to this stage of their relationship, there's still so much more they have to work through.
1: I was a little miffed that Jess was bringing this back up. I guess maybe she was reading into the fact that Nick changed his suit. But in a way, I kind of just felt like, oh, he changed because that other suit was just not acceptable. But then I thought it was also weird that Nick was acting as if he didn't know what Jess was talking about because he definitely heard Bob and he definitely was shook by what Bob was saying to him. I was... I don't know, I got like a cringe moment for their relationship here, because I wanted them to be able to have like a simple conversation about like, hey, I hope this he's not getting in your head. And Nick's response could have just been, oh, no, definitely not. Like, that's not miffing me at all. I just wanted to wear a suit that was nicer or something. It just seemed like an awkward situation for them. And I think that just kind of continued through the episode
0: or to just own that Bob did kind of get in his head. And that's okay too, because he's not self-sabotaging by putting on a better suit. And Jess makes it weird too with the whole hand sign as she's walking away from them, which is really not relationship-y, but also later when they're all together inside. Nick is heavily flirting with Jess, and so is Jess with Nick saying how She's gonna bust him later that night And he says like the whole "good night, nurse Kind of thing again And it's interesting because Obviously the rest of the loft Have kind of figured out that they're a thing And they're trying to make this work But it also feels a little out of place That they're suddenly like Completely into each other And no one in the loft asks any questions About Nick and Jess being together For all that they were objecting before It feels like they would have more to say about this I am quite confused
1: about their relationship in this moment and the way that they're showing it because we see them having slept together, but in the morning get interrupted and then they have an awkward day of like not being able to connect and being upset at each other. Then by the end of the night and it's Winston's birthday, they kind of just agree to like not do anything or keep the conversation going. But then now it's the next day and they're like, we're at a wedding together. And you're just like, whoa, whoa. Are, are you at a wedding together? are you together? Because that's unclear. (laughs) I feel like they just keep having these moments of like being together and being unsure about what they are and sort of not being together and then being together again. And the hand sign and even what Nick did of like the good night nurse throughout the episode was just like, is this an inside joke? Did we miss this? I don't know when you all would have figured this out together in your relationship because you keep being on and off without even being fully on.
0: They're definitely just jumping into it and it kind of feels like they're faking it till they make it where today they're both on positive terms so they're just going to pretend to be a couple. And we said earlier how the loft hasn't really said anything about this to them. But then later Schmidt does start to say something, but I don't feel like it actually has anything to do with Nick and Jess's relationship, but it really just has to do with Schmidt wanting Nick to go along with his plan and Nick not doing it because of Jess, because he talks about how Nick put deodorant under both arms and he's wearing this purse that Jess has and he changed his suit and Schmidt would like all those things for him. When, he wanted to go on a date. Schmidt was so excited to dress him. So I didn't get why he was putting this all on Jess when in any other circumstance, Schmidt would have only been happy that Nick had taken these changes.
1: I totally agree. And it's weird how for this relationship, all their friends immediately default to you're not being what I want you to be. Who cares that you're happy? Because that was my whole thing. I heard Schmidt say that. And I know that he was just trying to make his point and be like, I want you to do my thing rather than like do Jess's thing. Cause he was trying to say, you know, either you're the real you and Jess accepts that or she doesn't. But I was like, wait, 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 Schmidt, Nick is happy here. He's enjoying this. Like if The real him is a happier version that wants to do something like having a purse on his shoulder or that's not bothering him. I don't think that's Nick pretending. I think that's Nick just trying to like enjoy something and like really try at something because he wants to. So I just feel like Schmidt was being selfish and I totally agree with what you were saying too. But unfortunately, Jess thinks about Nick in the way that she knows him to be rather than the one he wants to be with her because... She sees the prank where they blow the air horn and the horse rides off. And later they come into the wedding hall and Cotton Eye Joe starts playing and she immediately has her doubts.
0: Good relationships make the other person better. Like, yes, you change. It's not like people are immovable forces, but it's about changing because the person wants to, not because you're made to, and because you're changing for the better. And I feel like Nick, like you said, was trying to be who he wanted to be by not being part of these pranks and just couldn't see that. I mean, she went so far as to call it a stupid childish prank. And of course, Nick then rebelled by getting in on whatever phase three was going to be because Jess comes in and she's even saying how Winston and Schmidt wouldn't be smart enough to duct tape the soundboard and how that's brilliant. And it brings me back to Neighbors where we really got to see Nick's pranking, which is amazing. And he's really good at it. But I was yelling at Jess through this whole scene because why would he lie to you? Like, even if you thought he did it, fine. It's one thing if you're accusing him, I think it shouldn't start that way because obviously this is someone who's good at pranking. I get that. But if he's telling you he didn't do it, don't you trust him enough to listen? Like, what reason would he have to lie to you about this?
1: And that's just it, is I think she doesn't trust him enough right now because that's what we get when they go into the ducks. (laughs) They go see, and you see Nick and Jess talking to each other and- she admits, she admits that she's a little unsure. I just got so frustrated because Nick is explaining to her, this is where I belong. I need to be part of this prank because that's who I am. And that's where I belong. And I just was, ugh, I wanted to shout at him and be like, No, you don't, Nick, you're allowed to be happy. And you're allowed to change and pursue something that is interesting to you. And you want to be different. You know, like Schmidt planted that seed that Nick shouldn't be someone who he's not quote, and be the guy who is always just going to be Schmidt and Winston's buddy. But Nick can have more in life just the way that Schmidt wants more in life.
0: And it leads to one of the two most heartbreaking scenes in the episode. Because when they do come down, they've crashed, everything has gone wrong. And they start to address their relationship. And they're obviously scared because they're both saying how they want to call it. And Jess says something like, that feels good to me. Does it feel good to you? And again, I was yelling at the TV. Does that feel good to you, Jess? Because you do not look like this is what you want. He doesn't look like this is what he wants. Why are you guys so scared to do this and give it a real try? Because what you're doing right now, like you were saying at the beginning, they are in it, out of it, in it, out of it. And they're never having a conversation and just trying to be this couple or like whatever could come out of it. And when they said they weren't in love, I was also yelling, aren't you in love though? Like, look at everything you've done for each other. Look at how you've been there for each other. I think you're in love. I also got irritated when Nick is just
1: trying to be like, it's not a big deal. We gave it a try. And I'm like, what kind of a try? Because they never did anything so seriously. They only just like kept flirting with the idea of being together, like one baby step at a time, but never cohesively. So yeah, I wanted to shout too. it was just not I was so irritated. They were so sad. And it was so clear how sad they were. And I almost thought to myself, I was like, you know, maybe they're just purposefully making themselves stressed. Maybe they have some weird stress addiction or sadness addiction, because it could be so simple just to be like, hey, I'm not okay with this, which is ultimately where they got, but not until their best friend, Winston, who literally was dying, (laughs) about to bleed out, was like, hey, uh, you can make other moves, dude. There's not only one way that you have to approach this. Winston was the shining star throughout this episode. So grateful for him because we needed that progression of Jess and Nick.
0: Even aside from the progression of Jess and Nick, which I am glad we got as well, I just have to say, Winston is such a good friend. Like, in this moment, he has been bit by a badger. They forgot him in the vents, never went back for him, let him fend his way out. And immediately, Nick starts talking about Jess. I know Winston asked, but Winston was bit by a badger. (laughs) And his only concern was his own relationship, which even if that had taken an extra 30 minutes, wouldn't have made a difference. Whereas Winston literally had to tell the bartender afterwards, like, hey, man, can you call an ambulance? I'm about to bleed out. Thanks. I was honestly appalled. Like, I know this is a comedy, but I was so, so upset for Winston, like justice for Winston in this moment. Justice for Winston.
1: He he handled it like a champ, though. <laughs> Maybe it was a a delirious, hallucinating, dizzy champ, the way he said, but that was just so classic. He was so calm and collected as he was talking to that bartender.
0: Exactly. But like you said, this conversation leads to Nick thinking that he can do more. And so he obviously goes to find Jess. And I loved this scene so much. It was like heartbreaking in a positive way almost because Jess is standing there so teary-eyed saying she's in for Nick. And she's just saying like, please, can we uncall it? And before you say no, don't say no.
1: Somehow deep in the areas of my brain as I watched this episode, which I mean, I've seen New Girl before. That is known. We talk about that. But I haven't rewatched it in a very long time at this point. And in this scene, I knew exactly what Jess was saying. It came back to me don't say no. Like I could say it before she said it and I knew exactly how it sounded. It was so sweet to see like her emotion and she finally was admitting what she wanted to Nick and Nick confirmed for her and kissed her and said he wanted the same things. I'm actually hopeful now that we get less of this wishy-washy with Nick and Jess because they're finally deciding they're gonna drive off together
0: and that they're gonna go for it. And that they're choosing each other. They are finally choosing each other. That's so true. And the way they choose each other too. Like everything about this runaway is so Nick and Jess. Like he's quoting Cotton Eye Joe and they drive off in this car, which I assume is one of theirs, but I was kind of hoping was uh, supposed to be Cece and Chevron's just married car. Cause I think that would have been hilarious if it had the little clanking bells at the back or something. It would have been hilarious. But one last moment from the scene that really stood out to me is Nick refuses to take a left turn. He says he's going to take three right turns instead. And Jess talks about how that's slower. But what really stood out to me from that line is that back in bathtub, Jess tells Winston that her dad used to be afraid of taking left turns. And so he would take right turns all over Portland to get her to school. And I think it's so funny that they've compared already Bob saying that Nick is like a younger him and that he got married before he was ready to. So maybe around the time that he was taking justice school even. And here's Nick not making left turns, making three right turns. And I don't know if this was on purpose or not, or just a funny joke, but I love that they threw this comparison in.
1: Oh my gosh. I totally did not think of that. And I didn't even realize that. All I saw when they turned was like, uh, that was a one-way street. I don't know where you thought you were going to go left. <laughs> you would have just hit some cars. But that is so crazy. I That's weird that they're kind of continuing that. That is such a parallel, though. That has to be like a little joke that the writers included. There's no way that's a coincidence.
0: I hope not because I think it makes it so great. But also in this episode, aside from the Nick and Jess relationship, is obviously Cece's wedding. So we start off with the whole loft entering the wedding. And Schmidt is so bitter through all of this. Like, we get to see a little bit of what the wedding looks like, all these people, but his whole thing is when Elizabeth talks about how their wedding has a lot of cool traditions and that the groom comes in on a horse, he talks about how they're just copying his bar mitzvah because... Of course, Schmidt, this entire wedding tradition is just copying your bar mitzvah.
1: The first thing that I saw at this wedding was definitely the cutout photo of CeCe and Chevron, and I was like, whoa, CeCe is really much taller than Chevron is, and it's crazy. I also thought it was a little funny that they had another cutout of the couple at a wedding because I thought even back to season one, episode three, and that was also there at that wedding. And I'm just like, this isn't something that's super common, but I guess it's common at the new girl weddings and how they set them up. But I agree with you. Schmidt was super bitter and was definitely not in the right headspace to be at this wedding. And as much as he was with Elizabeth and Elizabeth did end up joining him, which I think is like kind of a big deal because CC wasn't going to let him just bring some random person, but this wasn't a random person. But Schmidt was definitely not past Cece in this moment at this wedding. There was just no way.
0: It's confusing. I think, because I do think he still has feelings for Cece. straight from where he sees Cece and, immediately comes back to tell everybody that she doesn't want to have this wedding, which he's right about, but also he looks really happy with Elizabeth. The only thing that I couldn't get from his relationship with Elizabeth is that the kiss that they have right at the beginning is so forced because It looks unnatural. And I haven't always felt that way about Schmidt and Elizabeth. I felt like they could have been a thing. But here especially, it looked so forced. And I think that really sets up how this episode plays out. Because like I said, Schmidt is right about the fact that Cece with her eyes is definitely telling him that she wants out.
1: Obviously, I feel like most of Schmidt throughout the series is made to make him look a little questionable with his decisions at times or douchey with what he's trying to make happen. But in this moment, when he came back and wanted to tell Nick and Winston exactly what CC told him with her eyes, I'm with
0: you. I don't think he was wrong. And I think it's also telling of where the episode might go when he comes back to talk to the guys about this and Elizabeth is nowhere to be seen and is basically nowhere to be seen the entire episode, you would think that if your boyfriend was attending his ex-girlfriend's wedding, you would want to be sitting near him. And I admire that Elizabeth didn't feel any sort of protectiveness or any worry or anything like that, but the whole wedding he was gone. And when he does come sit next to her, even at the end, she just plays it off like he was in the bathroom again. And you have to wonder how many times did he get up in this three-hour ceremony that she automatically just assumed every single time was the bathroom or had no worries, no suspicions that he was doing anything crazy like trying to sabotage her wedding. Especially
1: when the only reason Schmidt went back to Elizabeth just a few episodes ago was because he wanted someone to make Cece jealous to sabotage her wedding and make her fall in love with him again. If that's not what Schmidt was doing, I don't know what he was doing and how Elizabeth didn't even for a second have any doubt of like, wait a minute, it's one thing to be overprotective of someone and like almost just follow them around in suspicion. So she wasn't doing that, nor would I expect Elizabeth to do that just knowing her character now. But I would expect her to have had a few more lines with Schmidt throughout the episode, just to be like, so what you doing? Because I feel like Schmidt then could have covered it up. But we would have at least seen that Elizabeth was trying to be like, hey, boyfriend at your ex's wedding what is happening here? Why am I not with you? Why are you not hanging out with me? I literally don't know anybody here. <laughs> like, where was Schmidt? And why did Elizabeth not care? I think is a very perfect question to ask.
0: <laughs> and you said that she didn't know anybody at the wedding. And even the Loftmates that she does know are nowhere to be found the entire episode. So it's not just Schmidt that's missing. It's Schmidt, Winston, and Nick. Jess, I think you can kind of excuse because maybe she's doing something made of honory or something, but Schmidt, Nick, and Winston are just nowhere to be found, and she just plays that off, and why they're gone this whole time is because they are pranking and sabotaging the wedding, like we said. It's Schmidt that's instigating the prank, and of course, Winston's part of it, but I love that he was self-aware enough to say that he's a bad prankster, and of course, immediately, Schmidt gets him into it, but... I said a couple episodes back how I didn't expect that from him. I expected him to just stick to his guns and think that he's a good pranker, but I've seen it the past couple episodes. He's really self-aware of the fact that he is not good at this. And I like that he talks about him being 31, like too old for this now, but Schmidt can get it out of him.
1: It's easy to be persuaded when you're just newly trying to set up boundaries. I was definitely rooting for Winston and like, wow, he's really not going to participate. And nope, that ended so quickly <laughs> in the same scene that ended and they went forward with it. So the first one, we didn't see any planning about or get any like indication that they were going to do it. But despite Nick's interference, they blew that air horn and Chevron's white horse went haywire. <laughs> it just
0: takes a off and i love how jess was just like don't get on the highway it's not up to him he did not choose to go on this ride <laughs> oh jess and obviously because of that jess is completely on to them and it leads to the scene with her and schmidt saying, I know you're responsible for the horse thing. And he says, was I? And she says, yes. And they go back and forth. And honestly, I was ready to be done. Schmidt in this episode kept repeating things in this episode. And he was always smirking. And I just could not deal with Schmidt.
1: They got really loud at the end too. They like kept going. They were off to the side and really loud that these ceremonies are not that loud. I can't imagine that no one was distracted. Right. By them having this conversation and just getting louder and louder. Though I did find it pretty funny. I don't know why. It was like school, elementary school humor. And it was funny. But then that wasn't the end. Because the next thing that happens is Cotton Eye Joe. <laughs> How startling would that be to be having a peaceful moment at your wedding? Either as a guest or as a bride. No big deal. <laughs> and suddenly... You hear Cotton Eye Joe, that would be so startling.
0: But see, like in that moment, Cece looks unsure, but she doesn't look upset is the thing. And I almost just wish she had gone with it and just danced down the aisle to Cotton Eye Joe. I think that would have been hilarious. But one really big part of this was where is Cece's family? She's getting married. Her mom is nowhere to be seen. We've met her grandmother and she's nowhere either. Like, what is going on? Because you would expect if your wedding got sabotaged twice, the horse and Cotton Eye Joe being played as you walk down the aisle, someone somewhere is going to be pissed off because this does not look like a cheap wedding. She even said it was on a budget. That's why Schmidt couldn't bring a plus one. And they're replacing the music with Cotton Eye Joe. What is going on here?
1: I also questioned where the family was, or how the family was interacting with the different parts of the wedding. Because even when they're outside for Chevron on the horse, there was like 10 people out there. And the wedding is clearly much larger than that when you get to the auditorium later. And I'm just like, wait, where was everybody? And even at the wedding, like you said, or even Walking down the aisle, no one seemed outraged. (laughs) Like, there's moments of confusion, and maybe no one was like instantly angered, but I feel like we would have seen much more of everyone being like, What? And like looking side to side, trying to figure out where the sound is coming from or how this is even happening, but nobody's trying. And also, only Jess is the one trying to save this wedding to make it successful. No one in the family is like, we're finding these people and kicking
0: them out. I feel like that would be the correct solution. And it wouldn't be too hard to find them because you walk outside and Schmidt and Winston are hyping themselves up. Of course, Nick is the one that gets caught trying to stop it. And that's where the whole fight with Jess happens.
1: I loved in this moment, Winston, when Nick walks in and he just sounds straight out of like... A comedy horror film about like, yes, there's nothing you can do now. <laughs> it's all duct tapes. And he just had such an evil madman voice to him that was just perfect for the moment.
0: I love seeing Winston in his element in that too. But I really did have an issue with the fact that the next time we see everybody, just as peacefully watching the wedding. If you know that they have tried to sabotage this wedding twice and the wedding is still going on, how are you not staring down and making sure you have an eye on everybody in your loft because they are going to do something else like I understand wanting to be present watch your best friend get married but isn't it more important to make sure that if she wants to get married she's getting married than to watch it because she should have been watching them
1: I agree with that I also as a continuation of the question where is the family am um, very surprised that no one left this auditorium for three hours. <laughs> people get up and use the bathroom and just, you know, stretch their legs if they need to. And there's just so many people that different things happened that literally was like complete crickets outside of the auditorium. No one had left at all. And like I said, the only person leaving was Jess. So yeah, I don't know why Jess wasn't trying to maintain what a pulse of what was happening with them. And making sure nothing else was coming about of their pranking, especially after they introduced a badger in the first scene of this wedding because you knew the badger was going to come back. There was no way that Winston getting excited about Bucky the badger was not going to come back into this
0: wedding. Did Winston steal this badger? He had to.
1: <laughs> There's no way that the, that the Wisconsin sports team was going to be like, hey, yo, take my badger, use it in a prank at a wedding.
0: Oh my gosh. <laughs> I could not believe that they stole a badger. And you can tell that Winston's plans never really get traction. He even tells Nick, This is the first time you're going along with one of my plans. And when Jess finds out it's Winston's idea, she immediately knows this is not going to go well and threatens to mess up Schmidt's hair if he doesn't tell her exactly what's going on. And he just like mumbles because obviously he knows it's gotten too far. That's why he had to go get Jess. And he doesn't even go in after them. He lets Jess go after them.
1: (sighs) Well, because he had to go back to Elizabeth, right? For the audio listeners of this podcast, which is all of you, I was rolling my eyes. (laughs) But... Jess's moment was my favorite as well of just like, oh my God, you know, like knowing instantly that like this was Winston's idea and all hell's going to break loose. And it literally did because they're in the ducks as Schmidt finally admits. And this becomes such a great moment because she's trying to figure out what to do and is calling Nick and Schmidt's just concerned about People hearing the phone, I have no idea because he's like, you can't call, he's in the ducks. Jess is just slapping him by the end. This moment between the two of them was, was a great moment.
0: There were a lot of really good comedic moments in this episode like that. And also like Nick finding out what the actual plan was. They were gonna drop a badger on the priest. I love that he didn't even know the full plan until they got into the ducks. Crawling through <laughs> with a badger that's angry. Like I would have wanted to be nowhere near there. And when Bucky got out, I also don't know how they didn't just get out of the ducks right then. I would not have waited to catch this badger. I would have gone back and said, Hey, I noticed that your badger was loose. Sorry. And left that scene. Cause <laughs> I already would have been claustrophobic in those ducks. With the rabid badger, I would not have been there.
1: Also, a little movie magic sprinkling, those ducks were squeaky clean. There is no <laughs> way that those, those ducks were going to be that clean in a moment's notice at a hotel. They had no dust on themselves, crawling and maneuvering through the ducks. Oh my gosh.
0: And even Jess's sari has like no creases fully held together. By the time they fall out, <laughs> it's like she just got dressed. It's unrealistic. How
1: crazy. It would not have worked out that well for her.
0: And like we said, they fall out of the ducks after trying to escape this badger and catch this badger. And somehow, Chevron and Zisi get out of the, like, Munda before Jess and Nick fall through. So how did they see that coming? One. Two, those kind of rituals have fire involved in that little silver thing. So if this all fell down on top of that, where is the fire? Because that would have 100% caught on fire as a cloth fell on top of it. And then people. Like, (laughs) what is happening?
1: (laughs) There's just some things. They were inside. Probably wasn't a real fire. Could have just been like a light. Who knows? Could have been a fire hazard. Because of literally people falling from the air ducts. Because got to plan for everything in these
0: situations. Oh, man. But I love also how when they fall and Nick looks up, he makes intense eye contact with Bob. And we were talking about how nobody has been mad about any of this stuff till now. Why is the person who's most <laughs> mad Bob? Like, I get it. Cece's like your daughter. But where is her family again? Like, Cece calls this entire thing off. And there's nobody there. Like her mom and Chevron's mom are the one who set up this connection. And neither of them are there to like object to any of this.
1: Cece too had so much time that she was coming up with her thoughts and how she was going to share to everyone there that she couldn't go through with it, that she wanted to be with someone else. And not only where was Cece or Chevron's mom when she said that, but then (laughs) how- Oh, you know, literally Taylor Swift pops up out of the crowd and Shavrung and runs off with Elaine and they go off on their merry way and leave ready to have their life together and no one follows them or cares. It doesn't make any sense. But it's almost part of the humor at the end of the day. I, I definitely still found everything so funny.
0: Yeah, it's definitely part of the humor because Elaine kind of sounds creepy about how she like paints his face and like writes in her journal about him. And obviously, looking at Taylor Swift doing this, I was hoping that she was gonna say like writing a love song about you. But no, not quite. But she does keep dropping references to like his mom not liking her and him being too short for her by his mom's standards, which Like you pointed out, Cece is also much taller than him. So that obviously wasn't a big deal for his mom. (laughs) But again, his mom isn't there to object to this or anything. And they run off to elope in a Presbyterian church. And Cece is left looking at Jess saying, I feel slightly rejected, which is actually one of my favorite lines from this episode because it's so funny. And Jess's response just being, you were slightly rejected.
1: The tables really did turn for Cece in that moment because here she was thought finally making a choice for herself and it ultimately was Shebron who left her because it was so much more dramatic. I also thought it would have been really fun if Taylor Swift would like quote some of her own music but then probably would have had some like licensing issues of why that couldn't happen but like wouldn't have been fun to just hear her quote like it's a love story to Chevron
0: like <laughs> oh my gosh or like our song or something just oh like my God something to like really use her own music in this would have been hilarious
1: that would have been so perfect
0: but I think why she didn't do it is because we've seen in previous episodes just talk about Taylor Swift and how she just wants to listen to Taylor Swift alone and I guess Taylor Swift doesn't look like herself in this universe because there's no way.
1: (laughs) It couldn't be. It couldn't actually be Taylor Swift showing up for Chevron because then it wouldn't actually be Elaine's big day. And then it also, like you said, would make the universe break. and would just not happen.
0: Yeah, I guess that's right. But like we said, Cece walks away from this wedding and It's funny because we see the aftermath of it where nobody's really left the hotel except, I guess, Elaine and Chevron and everyone else is just kind of mingling. And you see Elizabeth confronting Schmidt finally about trying to sabotage the wedding. And he says how he's just sabotaging it as a friend, which Schmidt, I don't think that's doable. At least not from your perspective, because I think Jess should have known that Cece was forcing this and maybe helped out a little bit or checked in with her more but Schmidt was not doing it just as a friend.
1: That's what I was thinking from the beginning of this episode when Elizabeth just seemed so cool with everything. It was never going to be the case, especially if Schmidt feels that because of the sexual intercourse he's had with Cece, he can see into her soul oh and, my gosh. Read and have conversations with her eyes. I know Elizabeth didn't hear that, but there was no way that Schmidt wasn't doing this because he was not in love with her, which is why he's conflicted when they both in a way are on the same side that Schmidt has to choose one of them and make his choice right in that moment, because it should be an easy choice. And in a way, I do agree with them from that perspective, because it should be an easy choice, him being able to choose who he wants to be with and spend his time with. But because he can't, I almost feel like he's not going to get either of them. And he runs away because he needs like time to think and Sleep on it or whatnot is what he wanted to do, which is like okay too that Schmidt needed to do that. But I think it's gonna burn him in the end because I think he's not gonna have either of them.
0: I really do agree with that. I think it's hard to ask someone to consider a possibility that he had kind of thrown out. He didn't think that Cece was going to be into him again because he tried and she rejected him. And so to bring that back on the table, I can imagine it wasn't an easy decision between Elizabeth and Cece. But I do think he probably has an answer deep in his heart. He just doesn't know if he wants to go down that route. But I also very, very much agree that this running away leads to the season ending in this love triangle, which is not going to play out well for him. I do think, like you're saying, he's going to lose both of them because while they were both so understanding and civil for the most part about all of the situation – The fact that he didn't have an answer ready to go is not going to serve him well in the long run.
1: It's really not. And to continue our conversation on Schmidt is our Schmidtism. We are going to bring back the scene where Schmidt had the conversation with Cece's eyes and him telling the guys what happened. Critique is going to be Schmidt and I am going to be Nick and Winston.
0: Guys, guys. Shut up and listen to me. It's Cece. She doesn't want to get married.
1: Damn. What happened?
0: Well, her exact words were, I don't want to marry Chevron, but my whole family has flown out here from all the way across the world. I can't back out now. Please, Schmidt, as my closest friend, help me. What did Jess say? Well, Jess didn't hear it. Cece told me with her eyes. Oh, so nothing happened.
1: Cool. So she's
0: marrying Chevron. No, guys, I know Cece. I know her looks.
1: And as Jess comes into the conversation and gets caught up on what's going on, she instantly finds out, oh, oh, okay, this isn't anything real. This wedding is happening. Let her go. But he can't. (laughs) (laughs) Because he understands her so much deeper and so much more. Schmidt obviously knows what's best. A badger in the ducks. (laughs) Well, that's more
0: Winston than Schmidt. But yeah, to give him some credit in this moment, Jess didn't know that she didn't want to do this and Schmidt did. So there is something to what Schmidt's saying.
1: I guess that is true because at the end of the day, it made Cece stop and reflect just a little bit more to really make sure she didn't make a decision she'd regret.
0: Exactly. But getting to our in the 2020 segment, we actually didn't have a lot for a not in the 2020s. Obviously, a big not in the 2020s is don't crawl in an air duct with a badger. <laughs> but on a more serious note, the only really small thing that really stood out to us in this episode was when Nick was crawling behind Winston, and he talks about how he never noticed that Winston had a girl butt. Who even knows what
1: that's supposed to mean?
0: pretty much no one. But getting to our yes in the 2020s, one of the moments that really stood out to us was that final scene where Cece and Elizabeth are talking to Schmidt and asking him to choose because we really loved how this didn't become something catty. It wasn't Elizabeth yelling at Cece for stopping her wedding for Schmidt, but really just allowing Schmidt to make his decision and while we don't get to see what would have come out of this, it does kind of feel like whoever he chose, the other person would kind of walk away and understand that they were making the right choice. So we really love to see this lack of cattiness between Cece and Elizabeth.
1: In our pop culture this episode, we are definitely focusing on the song Cotton Eyed Joe, which is famously now known for one of Nick's favorite songs. This song is also sometimes known as Cotton Eye Joe. And while its origins are unclear, it is thought to predate the Civil War in 1861. So it's just a traditional American country folk song, and it has continued in popularity across the United States and Canada, and just is mostly associated with the American South. The song also uses... Instruments like banjo and fiddle and it's just kind of known as a bluegrass standard in more of the original sounding version and even on occasion, it's referred to the South Texas National Anthem and was played for minstrel type jigs and has really been popular at square dances and hoedowns and even polkas as far as what cotton-eyed Joe could potentially mean is a few different things Over time, they've thought that it could be just being drunk on moonshine or having been blinded by drinking moonshine, which could happen, and how it turns the eyes like a milky white. There's also a theory that it could just mean a black person with very white eyes or someone who has milky white eyes from bacterial infections like syphilis or cataracts or glaucoma. It has a lot of different ideas of what could be the meaning of this. But another theory is when it would be the process of taking out someone's eyeball, but replacing it with a cotton ball due to a lack of medical equipment in the time.
0: And during the first half of the 20th century, the song was a widely known folk song all over English speaking North America. And one discography actually lists that since 1950, there have been 134 recorded versions one of which is the Rednecks version, which was made by the Swedish Eurodance group Rednecks in August of 1994 and was on their album Sex and Violins, which combined their style with the traditional American instruments of bandos and fiddles. And in 2002, it was actually remixed into a dance version and was released again on the Greatest Hits album, The Best of the West. In their version, they use Cotton Eye Joe instead of Cotton Eye Joe, and this version was very successful in Europe, and it was number one in Norway for 15 weeks, in Switzerland for 13 weeks, in Germany for 10 weeks, and then also in Sweden and Austria, the UK, and on the Dutch Top 40. In the US, it peaked at number 25 in March 1995. Our second pop culture reference is Bucky the Badger from Wisconsin. So obviously we could not go through this episode without diving a little bit deeper into the other half of these pranks that really ruined Cece's wedding. Buckingham Ulysses Badger, also known as Bucky, is the official mascot of the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And the most familiar portrayal of Bucky Badger is one of wearing a W sweater for University of Wisconsin and strutting forward with a fierce expression, and it was drawn by the commercial artist Art Evans in 1940. When they actually started, an actual badger was once used at the first few football games, but ended up proving to be too fierce to be controlled properly and ended up being retired to a zoo. And after that, they had a live raccoon instead, and they named it Regdab, which is badger backwards. So it's interesting that even in this situation, A badger is not an animal that you really want to mess with. Definitely not.
1: Bucky, the mascot though, when in his character suit, not a real animal, was inducted into the Mascot Hall of Fame in 2006. And during sporting events, he's generally seen interacting with the crowd, especially in the student section. And it's actually an intense situation to be the human that gets to wear the Bucky outfit. It's usually about seven students in a year who portray Bucky Badger, and they're all volunteers or get scholarships or financial reimbursement to do it. But the tryouts that they have to do include dancing skills, expressiveness while wearing the suit, ability to work with the props, ability to just maneuver and have a can-do attitude is one thing that was listed. And there's actually a training camp every year that they all have to go through. So this is a very coveted, coveted role at the University of Wisconsin events. Two other fun facts about Bucky the Badger in relation to this episode is that one? We actually couldn't find any images of Bucky wearing a Bucky sweater because Bucky, the mascot, does wear a sweater, but it usually just has a W on it, not necessarily his own face. The other fact that we found interesting was in the article that we will link in our show notes that has the showrunners of New Girl season two sharing about different facts from the episode talked about how they had this idea of having the badger and the ducks as the third prank and actually used it as a placeholder to begin with. But then the more they said it, the more they found it funny and decided they had to figure out a way that there would realistically be a badger at the wedding and how could it get there? So they realized the mascot of the University of Wisconsin was a badger and thus we got a badger at the wedding.
0: And lastly, in pop culture, we wanted to just touch on, like we did last episode, a little bit more about the wedding traditions that were in this episode. So first, the groom coming in on a white horse. So in some Hindu or Indian weddings, the groom's arrival is a celebration, and it's about the bride's family welcoming the groom into their home. This traditionally happened because the groom, in the olden days, may have been traveling for a few days to reach the bride's home, but now it's just about... An hour of celebration where the groom's side dances around the outside of the venue before being greeted by the bride's side. So in this episode, there weren't that many people like we mentioned. So maybe there weren't that many people from Shivrong's side of the wedding because that's the side that's usually out there dancing. And while like on this episode, he entered on a white horse, as the years have passed, this has been replaced by fancy cars, helicopters, and some people have actually even written in on elephants. Also in this episode, they talk about the seven circles that they were going around the fire, which indicated that they were actually married. And so we dived a little deeper into this as well. So the seven circles stand for seven different blessings, including praying for good health, developing mental and spiritual powers, knowledge, happiness, and harmony, and remaining true companions committed only to each other, among others. And this is a tradition that actually varies based on even where in India you might be. In South India, it's more signified as walking seven steps together, whereas in North India, it is about seven circles around a fire. And even who's leading within the bride and groom can vary by country, region, and religion. But what we did find was interesting is in India, by law and tradition, no Hindu wedding is binding or complete, unless the seven steps or seven circles have been made in the presence of fire, and they're completed by the bride and groom together. While this requirement is now more under debate, because there are several Hindu communities that do not do this, it is interesting how by that rule, it would make sense that Sisi and Siobhan weren't married yet because they'd only gone around the fire six times.
1: That was definitely fascinating to learn more about, especially as it relates to this episode and how it worked out so conveniently that Jess and Nick have fallen just before The Seventh Circle was complete. In our guest stars this episode, we have previously discussed Merritt Weaver, who plays Elizabeth, in Season 2, Episode 22, Bachelorette Party. Satya Baba, who plays Shivrang in Season 2, Episode 18, Tenfinity, and Rob Reiner, who plays Bob in Season 2, Episode 8, Parents.
0: We're not going to be talking about M. Hasna M. today, who played an uncredited, annoyed wedding guest, but this is their third time in New Girl, and they were previously in Cooler and Table 34 before this episode of Elaine's Big Day. And of course, we're going to be talking about Taylor Swift today, who plays Elaine in this episode. She's been in a couple of movies like Valentine's Day, The Giver, Cats, and was in the movie The Lorax. She's obviously also been in New Girl, but she's most known for her singing, and she's a 31-year-old American singer-songwriter whose narrative songwriting is often based on her personal experiences. She started out as a country singer, but since, she's had six albums, spanning 10 international top 10 singles, and with her sales over 200 million records worldwide, she's one of the best-selling music artists of all time. We thought it was really interesting that she's won 11 Grammy Awards, of which three are for Album of the Year, which is the most by any artist, 32 American Music Awards, which is also the most wins by any artist. 25 billboard music awards which is the most wins by a female artist and 49 guinness world records amongst other awards she was also named the woman of the decade in the 2010s by billboard and the artist of the decade the first to get that as a woman by the american music awards
1: taylor swift is currently in the process of re-recording her first six albums so that she can gain control of them herself. She's a big advocate of music ownership rights, especially following a dispute where her former record label, Big Machine, sold the master rights to her original songs to the mega pop star manager, Scooter Braun. At the time we're recording this episode, Taylor's version, of Red will be released November 19th, 2021. Another notable fact about her is that she recorded two albums during the 2020 pandemic, which is an amazing feat for any artist to do two albums in one year. Taylor Swift is one of the most followed people on social media. As of April, 2021, she had 176 million followers on Instagram, 88.6 million followers on Twitter, 42.1 million subscribers on YouTube, and in August 2021, she had joined TikTok and became the fastest user to amass 100,000 followers after her first upload in 34 minutes. She surpassed 1.5 million followers in the first day of being on the platform. In addition to her singing and her acting, Taylor Swift is also very philanthropic. She's worked with Chegg to donate to music departments at six different colleges. She promotes children's literacy and launched a campaign to protect children from online predators.
0: The other guest actor that we want to talk about today is Ajay Mehta, who plays the priest on this episode. And he's been in TV shows like The Good Place, The Mindy Project, Outsourced 24, and in one episode of shows like This Is Us, Life in Pieces, and Scream Queens. He's also been in movies like Spider-Man, G.I. Joe Retaliation, Superhero Movie, and Life of Pi. Mehta was born in New Delhi, India, and educated there, in Mayo College and St. Stephen's College. And he has wanted to be an actor since he was three and a half years old. And while he was in college, he participated in these plays and was very much known for his deep baritone voice. We also found a Fiber One commercial that he did between 2007 and 2010, and the catchphrase of the episode was cardboard, no, delicious, yes. So that's a prominent commercial that he's known for.
1: In our trivia and fun facts this episode, we had quite a few from the article that we will link in our show notes that the New Girl Showrunners spoke about in an interview with the AV Club. And it was obviously very fun to read that this wedding episode was something known from day one of pre-production of season two. They knew they were going to build to the question of whether Cece was going to get married or not. And with the built in love triangle of Cece Schmidt and Elizabeth, they knew that this was a great time to do this. Another fun piece that was not in this article that we found was that they had actually written a piece in this finale for Robbie played by Nelson Franklin But they had to take it out because there was too many things going on in this finale episode. But Elizabeth Meriwether said that if they could do a 35-minute episode, they would have had Robbie showing up too late questioning, where's the wedding? Where is it?
0: I can totally see that being something that Robbie would do, especially after all that cool guy power and coming together with Schmidt. Another thing that really stood out in this article for us is how this episode was something they all wrote together, and it was a big group-written episode because they came back to the drawing board two days before the table read. So I wonder if that's why the writers in this episode are the ones that were staff writers typically, because this is the only episode maybe they really were part of that group-written piece. And Elizabeth Meriwether noted that that was why it was so fun, because when they break the story, there's a piece of each of the writers and jokes from every writer in the room in this episode. And obviously, we talked about Taylor Swift just now, and they knew that Taylor Swift was going to be the cameo in this episode, but they were trying to hide it because they wanted it to be this big reveal. But if you get Taylor Swift in an episode, you're also going to want to promote it so people could watch the episode. And so they really tried to hide the specifics by showing her in a scene, but not actually sharing who she was on the episode or how she was going to play into it.
1: The last fact that we found, not from this article, was that when Chevron exclaimed Elaine and Taylor Swift's character named Elaine was actually a reference back to the controversial wedding scene in the movie The Graduate from 1967, where famously Dustin Hoffman shouts Elaine many times so that he gets her attention before she gets married in her buddy.
0: In our rating and favorite character section, the IMDb rating for this episode was an 8.7 out of 10, and this episode had a little bit higher of viewership. Maybe any promos of Taylor Swift really did work because this one had 4.07 million viewers in the US when this episode first aired. I give this episode an 8.5 out of 10. I felt like there were a lot of really comedic moments. I Could have stood to see more of Cece's storyline kind of wrapped up with Schmidt because I do want to see them back together. But I also get the suspense that we're building. And I love to see how Jess and Nick got together in this episode.
1: I also gave this episode an 8.5 out of 10. I too just really thought it was a lot of fun. I thought it was very comedic, but in a way, I also thought that they kind of tried to do too much. And I wanted them to suss out a little bit more of all the different storylines that were happening. So it's really too bad that they had to add an extra episode earlier on the season, but they couldn't have just made it an hour long finale. Cause that I think would have been able to even get Robbie back in the picture. Cause that would have been super fun. My favorite character though, in this episode was Nick. I loved how supportive he was for Jess and against the pranking but then also with the pranking and we really got to see like all of season one and season two Nick ups and downs all in this one short episode because he went all over the place with what he felt was appropriate for him and what he could do and I'm just glad that it ended with him choosing
0: to go off with Jess My favorite character in this episode was Winston. I felt like he was such a supportive friend. Like you're talking about Nick being supportive for Jess, which I think is true, but putting his own needs aside to be there for Nick and while he was bleeding out, even if that was an exaggeration, I think is so key and really stood out in this episode because he had the self-awareness, but he jumped back into pranking for Schmidt and he was... Injured, but he was still there for Nick. So that's why he was my favorite character. But I definitely agree with you that I wish this had been like a two part finale because I think they could have done so much with this episode.
1: So that wraps up everything but our spoilers. And we really appreciate you listening to all of season two with us. It was some definite ups and downs throughout the season, but we are really looking forward to recapping season two and then getting into season three. But before that, we would love your feedback. Please feel free to reach out to us anytime on Instagram or Twitter at Who's That Girl Pod, or reach out to us on our email, Who's That at gmail.com. You can also check out all of our show notes on our website, smallscreenchatter.com. So now, if you don't want to hear any future storylines, you have five seconds to pause. And if you do, check back for our season two recap. <laughs> getting into our in-game couples the first spoilers we always do first off is jess and nick and we gave them a 10 asterisks in this episode because as much as they're leaving at the end of the episode together and we know that season three starts with them in mexico we are a little concerned that it's not going to (laughs) continue because we know it's not going to be a smooth sailing ship now that they've chosen to run off
0: together with Schmidt and Cece, we gave them a 6 out of 10. I gave them a little bit higher at 7. Kelly was a little lower at 5. But really, Schmidt couldn't decide in this episode. So while Cece called off her wedding for him, they didn't really end up together in this episode. So it came out as a 6 out of 10 for us.
1: And with our douchebag tracker, where 10 means Schmidt is a douchebag and 0 means he's a genuine guy, we ranked him a 6.5 out of 10 There was a few moments throughout the episode where Schmidt just really wanted to go with these prankings and sabo this wedding, (laughs) but Nick mentions to the douchebag jar after Schmidt makes some douchey comment, there was just ways that Schmidt could have been a little more genuine to both Elizabeth and Cece and even to Jess throughout this episode.
0: And while this isn't quite a spoiler, we did want to call out the similarity between the Indian tradition of the seven circles around the fire with a Jewish tradition that we found where a bride circles their groom seven times. So in both, there's the seven. And we thought that was fun because obviously Schmidt is Jewish and Cece is Indian, presumably Hindu. So it's fun to see how these two traditions kind of overlap or have similarities. But with that, Kelly and I want to say thank you again for listening to this episode, this season of Who's That Girl? We love to hear your feedback. So please reach out to us by email at whosethatgirlpod at gmail.com, on Twitter and Instagram at whosthatgirlpod, or find us on our website where all our show notes are located at smallscreenchatter.com. We also love your feedback in Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're listening to this today. So please give us a rating or a review there. We also hope you'll be back when we publish our Season 2 recap going over the entire season.